For like 10,000 years they've been having sex. I, That's how we, you got here. Are we recording right now? Yes. Okay. Because uh, even if the outtakes, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by your other host, Scott Melson. What's up, dude? Hello, Dr. Scott. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Man, I'm delightful. This is weird. We're, uh, we're recording this without the, the music in the background, and I kind of miss it. I know. We'll, well, to, we'll add it in. The listeners, you'll hear it, but we, we don't hear it now. What's funny is that this is how we did it for like the first nine minutes. Right. And only recently... Have we been able to do the music real time? And now that we don't have it, it's like something's missing. It's like when people first invented the wheel. How did they live before that? You didn't leave your iPad. You said you left it at home. Yeah. It's not in your old car. No. With your old transmission. No, no, no. Yeah, I got a new... My car went kaput, and I got a new one. What did you get? Tell everybody. Uh, I got a I got an Outback. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, you Because did. you also have an Outback. You did. And what color is it? Uh, it's blue. Not just blue. It's, it's Outback Navy Blue, and I know that. It's not it's, Outback Navy Blue. It's the same color as my Outback. Is it really? Yes. That's stupid. <laughs> I put the Let's Fix This sticker on it today, though, so that's pretty exciting. All right, so um, in today's episode, uh, we don't talk about cars, although that would be a fun episode. Not and we really. don't talk about Star Trek either. We talked about discussing Star Wars and Star Trek this episode. We should we should <laughs> still do that we should. We should. for the seven really geeky listeners. Well, we got an Ed on to do it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yes. Yeah, that was Ed, tremendous. Ed, if you're listening, we haven't emailed you in like a week. It's been a crazy week. You're coming on the show, and we're going to talk about farming, tariffs, co-ops, yes. and Star Wars slash Trek. Right. So in three weeks. It, no, maybe next month, because we're in three weeks. We're gone. Um, so next week, we're going to visit with uh, Daniela, who is um, a political consultant pertaining to communication specifically. She's a PhD in applied linguistics. You didn't know that I didn't. Uh, and so we're going to talk to her. Um, she used to be on faculty at OU, and uh, I met her kind of, you know, through things. Um, and so we're going to talk about messaging and politics and how it matters and how words matter, which I think is a really great topic. Someone should tell the president. Someone should tell a lot of people uh, <laughs> because people are just throwing around words like they don't mean anything. And I'm telling you, strategery. Lockbox. <laughs> and so uh, that'll feel, be next week. I feel feisty today. I don't know why. In two weeks, we're going to talk to... In two weeks, we will have the Solicitor General of Ooh. the state of Oklahoma being on with us to talk with us about what the Solicitor General does, what the Attorney General does, what their office does. Uh, Mithin's going to be on with us. It should be, I think, a really a great interview. He's a great guy, and uh, should, should be a lot of fun. That's just super exciting. I have no idea what the Solicitor General does. I know that you can put no soliciting on your door. Different. Yeah, I had, a, I had a hunch. Different. So that's exciting. So that's the next two weeks planned out. We've got some great guests lined up after that that we haven't quite nailed down to a date yet, so we'll just tell you before we get there. Fun fact, do you know who was a former Solicitor General of the state of Oklahoma? No. Scott Pruitt. Was he really? He was. Well, that'll be two things we'll mention today in this episode about Scott Pruitt. <laughs> that's right. Pruitt yes, Watch. You're ready for it. You know it. Coming up. You're excited. So let's do a, a really quick um, news roundup. 
Um, and this is my turn this week. I got articles. Look at you. I have read them even, which is an improvement. I So I finished my grad program. I have an MBA now. I heard that I graduated uh, or that I successfully passed all my courses. And so I've got a lot more free time now, which is great because I've got stuff to do. And extra letters to put out to your name. And extra letters, which so far have not generated any additional income. But uh, first on our list is uh, a kind of a... I, this is still breaking news because it's breaking my brain. It's freaking bizarre. That uh, So the recreational marijuana petition that was going around, people were totally razzed about. Um, Green the Vote was the group that was behind it. And this is, they were pushing this anyway, but especially in response to the medical marijuana stuff. People were upset about that. It's still going. It's out there. You can submit for a license. They should be issuing the first licenses this month. So far, success. After that enormous hiccup or speed bump they had, uh, but green, yeah, <laughs> whoops, a daisy. Uh, but this, this uh, green the vote is pushing for full recreational marijuana, right? Smoke them if you got them. There's a legal how much you can have on your body, on your person, and your possession, whatever, and you can smoke it and eat it and do whatever people do with it. Um, wait, 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 wait. Do people do things with marijuana besides smoke it or eat it? Probably. I don't know. Suppositories? Is that a thing? It is with alcohol. I mean, what? Yeah. Do you know, know about this? No. So, yeah. Um, the the kids these days will soak a tampon in like vodka and then insert it in their rectum. And then they can get drunk really quickly without drinking anything so their breath doesn't smell like alcohol. I was going to say why, but I guess that's why. They So Ugh. the the people I've spoken to that have done this, like, do it and then go to the movies, and they're, like, drunk at the movies, which is what kids did in high school when I was there, but they just drank, they just smuggled in booze. Now they're just putting a, a booze-soaked tampon into their hey, um, rectum. For everyone out there who's 21 and over, they make this, it's a nifty little device, it's called a flask. <laughs> this is, I, this is you, my comment. You, it's a lot of work to do you, this. If you don't want to, to drink, insert a soaked tampon into your rectum. Well, they do it when they're underage. It's not if they're over twenty one, they just drink. But the kids these days. But this is this is way more effort than people I knew. People I knew just stole it from their parents yes. or something. Their yes. their older brother. Yes. But this is a lot of effort to put forth to get drunk, and also during a movie. Like, right. you're just sitting there. Right. And, hey, listen, I don't know. Kids. I, 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 you know. I have getting, not, a, I've not addressed this with my children yet. You're getting, you know, you're getting old when uh, you're just like, what? Why, why would you? Why can't you drink like an adult? Why would you do that? That just sounds just, terrible. Listen. Anyway, green the vote. Uh, just, marijuana. yeah. <laughs> we are way off topic. All right, so yes, so Green the Vote. Um, there were a couple of Facebook videos that came out uh, in the past week or so, and the first one was by some of the board members who basically said, you know what, all the numbers you've been hearing about the number of people who have signed the petition are a total lie. They posted it on Facebook like grown-ups do. They, yeah, right. Uh, to quote them, uh, Jamie Knoll said, quite frankly, it's a big lie. So, um, Nondoc has the story, um, and we'll put this on our blog post along with this, uh, this episode, but yeah, they, they came out and the, and the director of Green the Vote, 
um, Isaac Cavaness came back and said, like very late, like close to midnight, put out a video of his own with two other people and basically said, yeah, I sure did. And he well, did it. Well, not only that, they asked him. So he turned in signatures on the 8th because August 8th is the day that signatures were due to right. the Secretary of State's office. Right. And then some of the, one of the media asked him, like, so how many signatures do you have? And he said, and I quote, I really have no idea. He doesn't. And so the whole deal was that he, and we'll talk about this more next week with Daniela, but the, the whole deal was he thought, he was afraid that this would, that if he told people the number that he thought might be more accurate, it would be discouraging. And so we thought by, by inflating it and saying, like, you know, we've got 120,000 or we're, you know, we've got 140,000, people would be super excited. And I think a lot of people were excited, but it may have backfired, right? So let's not get into it because that's well, next week's discussion. That's true. And I just, but I just, I wonder, like, so what goes through your head? If I tell them that I only have 70,000 signatures, they'll be depressed. All right, fine. But what happens when you turn in 80,000 signatures to the Secretary of State, and then the Secretary of State is like, you have 60,000 valid signatures because we threw out 20, and then everybody's like, but you told us you had 150, right? Right. Like, the no, it's, children, so I'm saying, well, next yeah. week we'll talk about this, that just because you think it means something doesn't mean the people that hear it think it means the same thing. So, children, if you're listening to Let's Pod List, two lessons so far this week. Number one... Do not put a vodka-soaked tampon in your rectum. <laughs> Two, don't lie. It's one of those things I never thought I'd say out loud in my entire life. No lying and no vodka-soaked rectal tampons. And don't lie about those. Yes. Also, parents, we're, we apologize if you're listening put, to this in your car and your kids are asking weird questions. Those, yeah. <laughs> All right, so What's the, a rectum? Right, yeah. Darn near killed them. What's a tampon? It's also, yeah, the birds and the bees are a whole different story. Um, Should we mark this one explicit? No. It's not, it's, this is this is actual human, like, body parts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I agree. You're a doctor. Yeah. It's medical science. Yeah. Don't do this. All right, so the second article I'm is... I'm going to start adding this to my well child checks. You should. We'll see your resume. Parents and teenagers make sure they're not soaking vodka. They're not soaking tampons and booze and putting it up their bum. Right, well, so the... <laughs> and their bum. Because the whole deal is it's a more vascular area, so it's absorbed more quickly. No, physiologically, I understand why it works. You get drunk in a hurry. But Jesus. It anyway. has, has some bad ideas. I don't, I don't think that Jesus would support this. Also... That's literally putting new wine in old wineskins, if you know what I mean. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's a, a Bible joke. All right, so um, from a Nazarene, uh, indeed. Uh, all right, so in the New York Times, which is not a local news outlet, but I think that this is a very interesting article. Um, that so they had a, an opinion piece on July thirtieth, entitled "The Maps That Show the City Versus Country." is not our political fault line. Scott, you sent this to me. And in this article, um, the author, Colin Woodard, um, stipulates, not stipulates, he uh, postulates that the divisions in our politics are not urban and rural, but that, that they are based on historical um, immigration trends, right? And so, right. like, where people came from, um, from, like, the Netherlands, um, that they come from what is now the UK, Germany. Yeah. Like basically he basically he, he goes back to the colonies and looks at what the spread of 
like what the migration patterns were at the time of like at the time of the revolution and right. then immediately thereafter as well as what the patterns of immigration so both migration and immigration and it comes up with i think is it 13 12 it's yeah. been it's been a couple of weeks since i read the article Ish, but six. he he comes up with a series of what he calls nations that when you kind of divide up the united states according to these migratory and ethnic patterns they actually plot really, really well with modern voting behavior. Right. So they are. The, so Oklahoma is divided between two of these groups, um, but just barely. One is Greater Appalachia, which is basically uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, the southern region of Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, the northern regions of the South. It kind of goes across St. Louis down, and then it includes most of central and southeastern Oklahoma, and then down into central and um, kind of uh, central western Texas, Lubbock, out that area, um, and most of the Panhandle. And then just north of that is what he calls the Midlands, and that is a really weird-shaped thin band that like goes through Pennsylvania in the northern half of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, most of Iowa, um, and then a thin strip of the Dakotas and Nebraska down, and then the Oklahoma Panhandle. And that area, so the Midlands voted almost, um, well, it, no, I take it back. I'll say almost entirely for Trump, but no, it voted, that area overall voted narrowly for Clinton. Um, but then the Appalachia region, so West Virginia right. through Oklahoma and, and a big swath of uh, like Lubbock area of Texas voted very strongly for Trump. Um, and so... Anyway, it's a, a fascinating take. I don't know if he's right or wrong, but it was a way to think about yeah. this divide that was very different than what we typically hear. I totally agree. I mean, the art, yes, the article is fascinating. It is 100% worth a read. And even if you don't have a subscription to the New York Times, you've got, I think, five articles a month. So you can go back yeah, and get it. It's free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll link to it in our blog post. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. It's a very, I've not, I've not seen anyone break it break voting behavior down this way. And I thought there would be, when the article came out, I thought there'd be a little bit more buzz about it. I thought the folks at 538 in particular might have something to say about it, but they haven't. Um, but yeah, get on, take a look, read uh, Colin Woodard, right? Read his uh, kind of postulate and see what you think. He's a, he, he's a writer for the New York Times. Like he submits pieces to the New York Times, but I believe that he full-time, he writes... Uh, for a newspaper in Maine. He's out of Portland, Maine, I believe. Uh, Could be. But the piece is absolutely fascinating. It's great, yeah. And then our last article for today is about you-know-who. It makes me so happy. Pruitt Watch. It's back! Former EPA chief, former Oklahoma AG, Scott Pruitt. Can't stop making news. I like that you sent this to me with no comment. You just sent the article. <laughs> and so, I'm like, well, we have to include this. So, the headline, this is on, uh, I've got NBC News is what you sent to me. Yeah, that's correct. Um, court orders ban on harmful pesticide and says that the EPA violated the law. And so, basically, the EPA, under Scott Pruitt's instruction, broke the law by ignoring ignoring the conclusion of a bunch of scientists who work for the EPA. Right. Um, and so, basically, he tried to undo this, which it's just, I, it, it's it's a chemical. It is a, a pesticide, chemical, right? A pesticide made by Dow Chemicals 
that causes developmental abnormalities in children's brains. So that's okay. not good. And, and Scott Pruitt was like, oh, we should still be spraying this on our veggies. And so uh, it was created by Dow Chemicals back in the 60s. They have voluntarily decided to not use it in homes. Um, there's also the EPA has a, a no spray buffer zone around sensitive sites like schools. Um, and uh, in 2015, the Obama administration proposed banning the pesticide on food. But Pruitt reversed that in 2017, um, basically taking the Dow Chemicals position um, and uh, and saying that it's like Dow was like, it's not that bad. I mean, it's fine. Your science is flawed. It's well, so of course that the company who created it, their scientists said it's totally fine. Like it, your science is flawed, and then the rest of the scientists were like, no, no, this really jacked up some kids and and ruined their lives and their parents, and this is not okay. So, anyway. Also, I don't have an article for this, but Scott, did you see the article about that that the U.S. was relaxing the, like, restrictions or the ban or whatever on importing asbestos? What? Yeah, so they were like, well, we're going to relax the thing. Asbestos isn't that big of a deal. We're one of the few countries that still allow asbestos. Fun fact, do you know which country in the world exports the most asbestos and which one we import the most asbestos from? Uh, uh, China? I don't know. No, Russia! Oh, good. Good to know. Russia! Sucks. Like, I was like, I was like, nice. why, I like, why does asbestos even matter? We've got better, oh my god. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a coincidence, right? Just, have a quinky dink. Coincidence. Hey, do you have, uh, do you have Bob's number? Bob. Muller. I don't have Bob. No, no. Sorry. Someone should tell him about this. Someone. Hey, uh, hey, listen. Mueller. Hot tip. Mueller. Hot tip. Mueller. That's just asbestos. Really? So we're it putting was such a random thing. We're putting tariffs on aluminum, steel, and soybeans, but we're going to allow increased imports of asbestos. Your iPhone costs cost more, but cancer is free, my friend. You can. <laughs> it's an express lane for that stuff. Oh my god. All right. Anyway. Hey, uh, now that we've got all that out of our system, the last half of our episodes of this week is going to be a, a really great interview with State Senator A.J. Griffin, who's a, a public servant in several regards. Um, she'll tell us about her history um, running a, a social services and mental health organization, and we want to get kind of a post-mortem on her experience in the state legislature. She was pretty vocal about this while she was in. Um, especially towards the end, during all of those extra special sessions, uh, and so it's uh, it's a treat for us to talk to her and get her her insight into her experience there. Great legislator, great person, a lot of fun to talk to. Really uh, grateful to her for coming on the show. That's right. All right, so uh, let's take a break. When we come back, Senator AJ Griffin. Hey, we're joined by Senator A.J. Griffin from Guthrie. Hello, Senator. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Well, so you are, I guess, in your waning days, they would call you a lame duck, but I feel like that's such an offensive term uh, um, uh, of your time in the Senate. How long have you been in the Senate? I was first elected in April of 2012, so it'll be about six and a half years. Uh, service. So I completed an unexpired term and then um, was reelected in 2014 and, and 
ready to move on. Sure. Now, what did you do before you were in the Senate? Uh, I was elected while I was the executive director of uh, an agency called Logan Community Services, which is one of the network of youth-serving agencies across the state. But we were kind of a full-service nonprofit with uh, multiple state contracts, uh, drug court, outpatient mental health treatment, children's shelter, uh, juvenile justice programs, parenting classes with DHS, and a little bit of everything. And I had served in that role for um, about eight years and came from a nonprofit startup prior to that after a few years in the classroom. Excellent. Well, what made you decide to to take a run for office? Like most of the women in the legislature, I was recruited. Um, I was actually recruited by the, the Guthrie Chamber of Commerce, came a, knocking on my door one day. Mm-hmm. And I had done a lot of advocacy work just in my role at the agency and prior to that in fact um one of the things i'm going to dedicate some of my time to upon leaving is the institute for child advocacy because i kind of credit my experience working with that group uh advocating for children's issues as my that was my prep preparation and tutorial and how to serve in the legislature so i always say that i learned just about everything i knew from ann roberts and I credit her for being able to get bills through the process pretty early on in my career. Sure, I, and I know Anne uh, pretty well, and she's a she's just a delightful, wonderful person. Uh, and I've never heard exactly. anyone say anything different than that. Yep. Uh, and she's uh, great, and she is one of my mentors in service. That's for certain. I I totally understand. And OICA, I mean, aside from being a great organization, um, I think Joe Dorman, I can say he's a friend of the pod although i don't know if he's even been on yet has he he's he's not been on yet we've it's been a scheduling I will, conflict several I will times to get him on text him um but we we got to co-host child advocacy day the last two years and that was a great honor and privilege at the capitol well uh looking back that, that joe's one of my fa- he's, he's joe's one of my favorite uh to have on the radio whenever i am subbing on kokc so he's a he you need to have him on he's a great guest he is and he is <laughs> He can talk with authority about a wide range of topics. Yes, yes. That that happens after a few years in the legislature. It's, it's <laughs> Either true. that, or you get really good at making it up. Right. One or the other. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's like parenting. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. So, um, looking back uh, at your time in the legislature, now you you did not finish out your all the years that you could have been there, and I think your decision to not seek reelection was met with some surprise by a lot of folks and certainly some disappointment by a lot of folks as well. Um, but looking back, what would you consider your biggest accomplishment while you were there? Well, we quietly and um, without a lot of fanfare made some major improvements um, around our policies around kids and juvenile justice. Things that I, I have flown across to speak about Um, including prudent parent standards in the way that foster parents are allowed to care for children in their care, expanding the youthful offender age in our state to 19 and a half, um, sealing records for juveniles in nonviolent situations if they're going to stay in the juvenile system, uh, expanding autism coverage uh, on or in insurance uh, for kids that have autism that are, are still in the area of time where applied behavioral analysis will make a difference in their lives. So just about everything that I 
am very proud of is something that just chipped away at improving life for kids and youth in the state of Oklahoma. And then we made some major advancements around the mental health area as well, including assisted outpatient treatment in the repertoire of things that you know judges can do to intervene with individuals that have mental health issues. And, and of course, just ensuring that the criminal justice conversation uh, kept moving forward. And because if you're a mental health advocate, you, 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 that's something that's very important to you as well. So a lot of things that, that, you know, if you look at the vote count, they look like they were easy, but we're making you know, slight adjustments here and there and trying to steer a clearer and better path for kids and youth and uh, struggling families in Oklahoma. That's right. Anything that looks like it was easy to pass is because there was an immense amount of work that happened before the vote. Yes. Well, and, and you have to, you know, establish yourself as an expert so that, you know, you're, when you put something forward, your colleagues trust you to have done your homework and to know it's a good thing. And we had a, a bill this last session that uh, on the surface, it's something that I couldn't have passed in my first couple of years because it just didn't have the established credibility, but it changes the way that we handle drug endangered children. So these children that are born with drugs in their system you know, our first instinct has been to, you know, be mad at mom and to take kiddo away and put kiddo in in DHS custody and mom in jail. And we now know that that's really not the best course of action. Science tells us something differently. But that's something that, you know, after you've been in long enough and you people trust you, when you try to do something that's a big swing and say that we're not going to immediately remove those kids, we're going to treat mom and kiddos together and we're not going to put mom in jail we're going to offer an opportunity to parent her child if you try to do that in year one or two it's it's a heavy lift but in when you've been working on those issues for seven years and people trust you it it passed with without any questions and very little uh very little debate in in committee and if you look the vote count it looked like it was overwhelming and easy so That's one of the things people don't realize whenever they go to the legislature, that it takes a little bit of time to be able to do things that are hard. That's right. That's right. And I just want to say, as a a mental health professional myself, this is one of those subtle ways to know that someone's a real deal is when they use the word kiddo. Yes. Everyone (laughs) I know that uses that are are therapists, social workers, people who've worked in the field. Um, And that's like, I just, as you were saying, I was like, this is our own language, not that I'm sharing with our listeners, but... Pediatrician, pediatrician. Don't, don't okay. leave us. Don't leave us out in the cold, man. But it's it's different than child or kid or whatever. It's kiddo is like the the term of endearment. Yeah, that gets used. So anyway, Scott, you have a question. Yeah, I was I was you know kind of going along that same lines. You know, you've gotten a, a lot of things done that I think have a profound impact on you know child welfare in Oklahoma. But as you look back, is there anything that you anything you worked on anything that anything that couldn't quite get over the finish line that you look back and I mean, you know, we were prepping for this and we used the word regret. I almost don't like, I don't like the word regret, but like anything that you like, man, I, if we could have gotten this one more thing done, that would have really put kind of the cherry on top. Well, I, I'm not the only one that's worked on the issue, but there's a lot of us that over the years have worked on expanding the scope of practice for our nurse practitioners um, as a tool to, to just simplify healthcare access um and we say in rural Oklahoma, but it's for all underserved Oklahomans. 
And we got closer this last session than we have ever gotten and still couldn't get quite get that one across the finish line. It's got a lot of opposition from a lot of people with a lot of authority and power that um, we just haven't been able to overcome because, like it or not, people still trust doctors more than nurses. And I think there was an opportunity to compromise there. And my regret is that we weren't able to come up with a piece of policy that everybody could feel comfortable with. I don't regret not winning, but I do regret that we were never able to get everybody at the table and to say what we're doing right now, it inhibits access. How can we improve access and get off of the, that issue, the being a nurse practitioner versus doctor's issue? Because that really wasn't the issue at hand. It was how do we simplify access? How do we make it easier to start a practice? How do we make it less expensive to stay in practice? especially if you're willing to serve the, uh, the you know, low-income Oklahomans that, um, that generally reside in areas where it's hard to find a dock or uh, hard to get a dock to move there. So that's – I regret is that we didn't ever collaborate, um, and I'm just – I'm disappointed that we haven't seemed to have addressed that issue in a thoughtful way. I mean, you know, I think that that's certainly going to be an issue in sessions moving forward. Kind of mm-hmm. in, on, in your mind as someone who's worked on this, what – what would you put out there as a compromise that you feel like, you know, kind of the physician advocacy organizations and nurse practitioner PA advocacy organizations would, would be able to both, both get behind? Well, I, being someone who's neither a physician or nurse practitioner, I couldn't ever come up with it because uh, I would propose one, uh, something to one side and they'd say no and something else to say, you know, it's something that the docs would accept, the nurses wouldn't accept, but the nurses would accept, the docs would I So as a lay person, I wasn't ever, ever, ever able to get there, and I was unsuccessful trying to build a coalition to discuss the issue. So I think that's the role of the legislature that always is undervalued is that of convener. Sure. And so I'm hopeful that someone can come along behind myself and Representative Cockcroft and and do a better job convening the issue so that the solution actually comes from the medical community. We forget, and I actually told a group uh, yesterday morning, they were asking about school consolidation, and I finally said, look, that plan will never come from the legislature. It must come from the education community. So if we can facilitate convening those ideas as part of our job that, you know, we're not going to be able to get there without the participants and the things that it affects, the people that it affects actually solve. you got to solve the problem in the field and then tell us how to make statute match what you want. Um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot that happens at the state capitol where we take credit for solving problems when we're really not. We're actually just putting that solution to paper. You know, it's it's really interesting the way that you kind of that you frame that, because I I think I now know I think I know the answer to my next question, which was actually (laughs) going to be, you know, looking back on your time as a lawmaker. What do you what's what to you is kind of the most difficult part? Like, what's the what is the toughest part of the job? And now, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like maybe the hardest part is sometimes getting getting parties of people to come to the table and, and address issues in which maybe you as a lawmaker don't have expertise, but trying to get these two sides to talk to each other and put out something that says, okay, here's what we can both handle. Now put, put this into legalese and something that, you know, can be written into the Oklahoma statute. Is that, is that accurate? Or is there, is there something else? 
Well, I, I think my biggest challenge is always that it, the, the misconceptions of what the job actually is. And, you know, we call it we're legislators are lawmakers. We, we make the laws, but we don't necessarily um, own the market on ideas. The best ideas actually come from constituents and the people that those laws impact and that the, the least valued role is the, the role of convener. And you know, what people campaign on being able to do, um, you quickly learn that's not really the job. You're one of it's a team sport, and you've got to play on the team. And um, you know, I'm I'm I don't consider myself politically astute, although I do understand people because I worked. I ran a mental health agency. You <laughs> had to learn a little bit about people, and that was a great preparation for the legislature, by the way. Um, so. Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions by, by people running for office, those in the office and the public, of what the job actually is. And the job's to help bring people together, come up with the solutions, and then put those solutions to paper so that they um, can be interpreted and enacted by other people. You know, I always made the joke when I was speaking that that um, you know nothing really happens at 23rd and Lincoln. We just rearrange words and rearrange numbers and then watch the fallout and try to get better the next time. <laughs> that's a, I think that's an, I think that's a, that's a funny way. To, that's a, a fun way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what what would you say? We'll 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 make it a bit lighthearted now. What was the what was the most fun? Like what was the what was the best part? Like what was the most enjoyable uh, kind of fun day to day part about being a, a legislator? I have some very 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 good friends, um, people that uh, will remain my friends for the for the rest of my life. That um, love of Oklahoma as much as I do, and um, great sense of senses of humor. And we had we we, would, we had a really good time. Um, you know, just any job that if you've got if you like your coworkers, you're a whole lot better off. And then my other favorite thing was my district was big and had lots of towns in it. And so when I was, you know, when you get to know the people of all those communities and you get to be part of their community, that just, I loved that part of it as well. Um, you know, people that I will remember for the rest of my lives, World War II veterans that I got to sit sit to, and drink coffee with and hear, the, hear their stories. And, you know, women who um, it could completely transform their community by just the, the work that they did. And then, you know, Patriarchs of Oklahoma, um, people like Ed Malzon, who was the founder of Ditch Witch, who passed away recently, and had, I, I got to know him and um, be part of his community and benefit from from his service to Oklahoma. And so, you know, the it, the best part's the people, and and Oklahoma's full of pretty amazing people, and some of those that happen to be legislators. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. those are my friends. My friends for life, and um, that I think those are the things I, I will take with me. I mean, I think that's 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 great to hear you say. And I'm mean, I'll just sidetrack sidebar a little bit. I I agree with you um, that that's an amazing part. If that's a if you're in a career or a field where that's something you get to do, I think that's amazing. It's um, I'm a primary care physician here in Oklahoma City, um, and that's my mm-hmm. that is people ask you know like do you you know what do you like about your job? What's hard about it? And you know there's everything any there's all kinds of things that go along with any job but i tell people far and away um the best part of my job is getting to talk to people like i love getting to meet people yeah. and talk to me and i'm my clinic is in a place where we get folks from the metro but also from some of the more rural parts kind of out around the city and just getting such a wide 
swath of people. You know, you mentioned the World War II vets. So when I was in training, you know, uh, we did some training at the VA. This was um, not a whole lot of years ago, but some years ago. Um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and you know, the VA, like, people always ask, like, what's it like working at the VA? The VA is kind of its own, like, it's its own beast. Um, and there's good parts about it, and there's there's not great parts about it. But the, but the best part, far and away, was always the veterans, man. And you would go talk to these, mm-hmm. like, you know, these, I mean, all of them are great, but like these old, like World War II guys and Korean war veterans. I mean, there were, there were days where it's like, man, I really, I have to finish my stuff and get to rounds, but I want to stay here and finish this story with this guy because he's awesome. Um, so I, I, I feel you there. That's, um, that's cool. that That's what you take away from the legislature as well. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's service. I've always been a community person and, and that, that's, that was the best part. Uh, and, and it is, it's a neat situation to be in to, to the people that you get to know, um, you know, to know everybody from the governor to um, Peachy, who does the mail in the Senate. He's one of the ama- most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life and, um, and everybody in between. And um, so that the, the, even the people at the Capitol, the staff are pretty phenomenal. The sergeants and the porters and our Senate staff that are still there. And, you know, we, we come and go, public servants come and go, but they're, they're there and they're really the, the, the part of the clock that keeps ticking. <laughs> We're just kind of the, the window dressing we, many times. We've been toying with the idea of doing a, doing a series about the sergeants because as a, mm-hmm. as a, you know, just as a regular person who comes up there and sits in the gallery, like they are some of the most visible guys always getting on you. If you like, hover above your seat just an inch or if they think that you're taking video of what's happening or whatever. And, and, um, they just, I'm just full of intrigue about their histories and, and the little tidbits of stories I've heard make me more interested in, in finding out more about those guys. Well, any Oklahoman, um, would love to know Bob Craig. He's the head sergeant in the Senate and the man has, he has stories of, great values when it comes to <laughs> Oklahoma history. There should be a chapter in Oklahoma history books called Bob Craig. Nice. You know, I'm, okay. well, well, I'm, I'm about to go meet him. It's, it's funny because I haven't, you know, recently most of the um, drama, if you will, has been on the other side of the rotunda. Um, so I've met, I've, I've met, <laughs> I, sir, I've, that's not just recent. I think that's always, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, most of, most of my time in the gallery has been on the, on the house side. So I've met some of, had some of those folks, but we'll have to get over to the Senate side and meet Pop, get him on the show. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so with, we've talked about the good, the bad and the ugly. What led you to, to decide to retire now? <laughs> well, um, lots of reasons. So, you know, the, I, you won't get anybody who's been serving. who says that the last year and a half has been fun. Uh, I think most of us had a little bit of PTSD <laughs> from the two special sessions and the fights and, and the, the challenges that we eventually were able to overcome to a certain extent. Uh, but for me personally, I, I am like to get things done. I, you know, I have had 195 pieces of legislation signed by the governor in my tenure. Wow. And felt very comfortable with the amount of work personally I was able to get done um, and just really thought for me, I never really planned to 
go into politics and stay a politician forever. I've looked at it as something to go do for a while and then return to, you know, your real life. And, and that's kind of what I chose to do. The time was right for me. And I am about to have two kids in college and, uh, (laughs) You have to. You do eventually need to make a living, right? And so, <laughs> you know, we everything. They were going to cut the what was a, a, amounted to a, a pretty good chunk of tuition out of our salary. So, and if, regardless of what people say, the way that I did the job in the Senate is is is, is a full time job. So uh, there's a there was a day and a time when I think you could do it and hold on you know, your full career, but the devotion that I gave to the district was, it, it became all consuming for me. And so decided that if I could not do it that way, I wasn't going to do it at all. And, and please found there are two great guys running for my seat and and my district will be well served by either of them. Uh, Although I'm supporting the Republican, which should not (laughs) surprise you at all. (laughs) That's funny. Well, and, you know, I think uh, a couple of thoughts there. One is that when you look at the duration of tenure um, before and mm-hmm. after term limits were passed, um, it turns out that that people only averaged, like served 10 to 12 years before term limits. And then once term limits passed, there was a spike where everyone that was in office just hung on as long as they could. And now mm-hmm. it's drifting back down so that folks are staying six, eight, you know, 10 years and not necessarily stay in the full 12 years that they are permitted under law. Uh, and so this idea, and I've tried to, you know, try to put this out there with, with our listeners and, and with the other folks that follow, let's fix this is that, you know, it's easy to say, vote those people out, but by and large you have, or they've termed out already. And, and the people that are there now are not the ones that may have caused the problem that you're upset about. So like, don't, right. let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's find out where responsibility lies and and talk to folks and find out like maybe who's there now is responsible for fixing the problem that was there when that they inherited um it goes both ways well Well, and i i think that 10 years 10 years are going to get shorter and shorter i believe this is my in the day of social media where you you if we go back 25 years ago when you're serving in the legislature yeah, people could, they saw you at church or they knew where your office was, or maybe they might have your home phone number. Well, now, I mean, you can see me at church in the aisle at Walmart. You probably have my cell phone number, which is on me 24 (laughs) seven. If you don't, you can tweet at me. You can, you know, follow me on Instagram. You can instant message me on Facebook and regardless of where you're from or if even you're my Facebook friend, and so our, uh, and then of course, don't mention the you know, hundreds of emails a day that we get during session. So the job, just because of the access that, that elected officials have to the public and the, the, the access the public has to the elected official has gotten huge. Yeah. And you're, and you're still expected to be at all the chamber dinners and speak to the Lions Club and be seen at um, the, the 4-H uh, banquet and and all of those things. So the job has grown significantly, and um, while the issues have gotten more complicated, so I am concerned. And obviously, the trend that we're seeing in Oklahoma is shorter tenures and more turnover. But but we're not unique. We're not an outlier. We're seeing that in state legislatures across the country, sure, even in states without term limits. Sure. Well, and I think I, mean, I think it's a great point, and that it, it's great that 
never in history has as a state legislature been as accessible as they are now. Um, but that does mean that it's a lot more work. And, and I think to your credit, in, in my opinion, um, you are one of the legislators that definitely served with a, a statewide mindset um, and that and that you came to this saying, I want to make the state better. And, and you've worked towards that. And in, in you said 193, 197, like specific <laughs> legislative ways. Um, and so one of your, you know, one of your former colleagues, um, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt, um, he and I were speaking at an event um, uh, last year. And um, I was kind of talking to him offline about it. And he said, it was like in January, I think it was on inauguration day of last year, actually. And he said he was talking to some colleagues about asking them, you know, well, what what kind of legislation are you filing this year? And several of them replied that they weren't filing anything. They weren't they weren't proposing any laws. And he just looked at them like, what are you even doing here, man? Like, If you're not going to even propose any laws like they're like, well, I just kind of show up. And um, and so I. I appreciate it that has not been you uh no you, <laughs> that has not been me uh, i've been very busy very engaged got a lot done and it's like in a second i just walked in somewhere and you may hear some background noise for a second <laughs> um and you know if i'm gonna be there i'm just gonna work and the i found the, the work the policy part of the work um I very much enjoyed working on policy and reading policy and participating in and the process. And I would have never, my conscience would have let me just take up space and vote. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, you know, it's funny. There's people that just uh, want to punch a clock no matter what the job is, right? I hate that. The truth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that old 80 20 rule, it mm-hmm. applies everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's very true. Well, um, can we ask you, do you have just a few more minutes for a couple other questions? I do. I okay. do. Yeah, sorry um, about the noise. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, we've all been there. Uh, what do you, we want to talk a little bit about partisanship and, and because it has become such a, it feels like a, a focus the last couple of years and, and, uh, and we want to get your opinion as someone who is sometimes marauded as being a moderate and sometimes marauded for being a Republican. Um, what do you see as some of the the key differences between the parties? Well, you know, in Oklahoma, it's funny. We've got Oklahoma uh, Democrats that would be Republicans in other states right. um, because of just kind of the way we approach. I do think this state, I've seen a shift where we've really been always for a, been kind of a center-right state. And we got farther right with the growth of the Republican majority. Um, then, of course, because of failures of, of, of decision makers and because we, quite frankly, ignored some of the things we should have been taking care of, uh, playing politics with other things, we've moved back a little bit. We're still a center-right state. and But I, I think as our metro areas grow, just like in any other state, as you see more urban um, growth, you're going to see people shift to the left a little bit farther. But I don't know that as a state we're ever going to, you know, we're not going to be California anytime soon. But the partisanship that is seen is, you know, situational. 
uh, on any given day, um, even though some of our my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, we might disagree on things. Uh, as soon as the disagreement was over, it was over. So I still think that like most elected bodies, we function at a pretty high level most of the time. And then there are those things that are are going to be divisive just because of you know this is a, a two-party system and we're going to have uh, differences of opinion. Now, in, in Oklahoma, the, the thing that put us into two special sessions was uh, our intentional um, creation of a system that it just made it really, really hard to raise revenue uh, by a vote of the people. And so the fights that were around that, and that you know, this quote, quote unquote, inability to reach an agreement well, if it's just a regular old normal agreement where you need a majority plus one, we would have never needed a special session. Mm-hmm. But our the, the conditions under which we were working raised that threshold, made it more difficult, made it more of a challenge, so it took a lot longer and a lot more work. But for the most part, um, you know, for the most part, people, the, the people in the pro- involved in the process get along pretty well. Um yeah, and I, you know, I know that I carried a lot of bills with a lot of my Democrat colleagues and helped them get things across the line, um, and and always enjoyed working on those joint projects where we could find places where maybe they weren't traditional Republican issues that I, we could find a way to to help move their goals um, through the process as well. And I think I'm I'm not an outlier. Most of the people work like I do, but there's always those few. <laughs> and those are the ones you see on the news. <laughs> That's but true. <laughs> even with, and even with those, um, it it was it's purely situational. Um, and I think that you'll see, you know, the the challenges in this upcoming session will be trying both sides trying to orient uh, new members to the process uh, and teach them how to do it. Uh, and it'll be up to leadership to make sure that that the decorum of the bodies are maintained and that they set the stage for at least, if, if not agreement, ha- at least consensus uh, as often as possible. You, you mentioned that, you know, like when you have the, when you have the requirement to get like a supermajority as opposed to like a 50% plus one, that, you know, makes it a lot more difficult. But I'm curious, do you think, do you think if the houses were split where, you know, the majority was 52 and the minority was 48 as opposed to the majority being like 73 and the majority being 27. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be harder to get to that 50% plus one? Like, do you think there would be that same level of like, then would everything face the same kind of challenge that we face to see revenue increased? Uh, no, I don't know that it would be that much different than it is now i mean if you look at the the vote the vast majority of what's done in both chambers is either unanimous or pretty darn close sure you know good policy good policy is generally good policy i think that the the skill of the leadership in setting everybody up for success so that you've got the right committees and that the committee process works is important and then what i always tell oklahomans you know we can get all wrapped up in in r's and d's and numbers and the majority it's how about we just elect a bunch of people that are problem solvers and care more about Oklahoma than they care about themselves. And then it won't matter. And, um, and so, and 
the partisanship that has we the little bit of partisanship you see at the at the Capitol has also been amplified at the ballot box. And sure. you know, when people are will vote for someone just because of their their you know credential as a party member, um, you know, I, I encourage voters if that you know if this is if this is a problem solver, um, then that that should, that should be your guy or girl. If they want to solve problems, um, because they're not always going to win, and even whenever you lose, is like you you want to be getting better. And there were there were some times in the last couple of years when I think we lost our focus, and we weren't working to make Oklahoma better. We were just trying to win or to lose, sure, and not to, trying to win and not to lose. Sure, hundred percent. I I think I think yeah, I would I would agree with that for sure. I am I'm curious what, and this is maybe more of a like philosophical question i don't know what 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 makes you identify as a republican as opposed to a democrat like why is that your kind of party identification and that's the side of the aisle that you fall on and it's really and here's here's one of the places i will tell you you know because i get accused of being a moderate all the time because i'm not hardliner on several things and because well partially because i can do math and <laughs> right. so i understand so i understand things like you know medicaid work department is just cost shifting from medicaid to 100 percent unreimbursed care for emergency rooms. Those god bless things. you for saying that <laughs> I, oh i i said it on the floor yes Nobody you listened. did well, a few people listen but i identify more as a republican because i even as someone from a social services background, I tend to believe that our government solutions should be last options, not not best options. And you know things like um, I oppose getting rid of a jury um, to terminate parental rights because I want to limit the power government has over family. Um, but on the flip side, I also think if you're hurting your kid, we're going to take them. Sure. So those things that kind of that that balance. Um, you know, I I am pro-life because I think in this day and age with the technologies that we have, we really shouldn't need abortion any longer. Um, we should have a thriving economy where single women can raise children on their own, and we should have readily ready access to um, the plethora of birth controls that modern science makes available, so that we don't need it. Um, so this, I, I really kind of consider myself a pragmatist. But with a conservative plant that I want to make sure that that, you know, that government's control over each and every one of us is as limited as possible. That's why some of the hypocrisies in the Republican Party, um, I would tend to kind of go away from. Um, you know, the 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 unnecessary attacks on the LGBTQ community always drove me crazy because mm-hmm. um, I believe in personal freedom and in choice and in um, that government's supposed to to not uh, interfere with your personal choices if you're if you're um, not committing crimes and then we would have a platform that was completely flew in the face of that so um, yeah. from a republican standpoint I'd, i i i am truly a conservative but i'm probably more considered a quote-unquote modern day conservative i i think many of my views are probably closer to some of the conservatives that are in their 20s than folks that are in well, that are older than that, like myself. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Right, right. <laughs> well, and, you know, I was talking to a member of the House that's that's a Republican, and, and he said he considers himself a classic liberal Republican. 
And the people that like <laughs> people like turned around to he, when he said that of like, is that a thing? Uh, and so, but yeah. it, I think he meant Mike the same did. thing that like, there's yeah, it's different than our grandparents' Republican right. Party, right? Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, Mike Mike Turbin calls me a progressive, and I look at him and I'm like, you're trying to get me in trouble, right? <laughs> he says I mean that as in someone who understands how you get to progress. Although I would and actually, I said, okay, I'll take that. I would even say, I would even say, I think that you're, I have no idea how old you are and I'm not going to venture a guess, but I, you know, 29 is the answer you want. I think you're right. I think that you are probably, I think that you're probably Republican. You're, you're close to maybe some Republicans in their twenties. I also wonder if you're close to some Republicans that are in like maybe their seventies or Uh eighties, like, like. I, I think, and I'm I'm not myself a Republican, so this is me from the outside in, but I do think that certainly nationally and even locally, the Republican Party today looks different in a variety of ways than it did 40 years ago or 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. You know, and, yep. um, and I think that there are some things that are maybe really important to the party now that were not nearly as important to, to them then. Um, and, well, and, and I wonder well, if if maybe that's kind of the vein in which you run. I would think so. And, you know, we also kind of lost as a state. We were elected as a pro-business. Many of us ran a pro-business and we're going to, you know, make it easier to do business in the state. And we're going to ensure that we have an environment where businesses can thrive. Well, you can't do that and then turn around and say, but we're not going to build anything for three decades. And we're going to completely, you know, completely abdicate our responsibility for training the workforce because we don't treat education like we should. And so some of the things that we said and then what we did were in complete conflict. And I think those are things that will rectify themselves um, as we go through the the elections. and, And when the people, you know, the legislature is a responsive body. The people determine how the legislature behaves. And so when I was running in 2012, 2011, and 2012, people were still talking about gun rights and things like that. Well, they're not talking about that now. Yeah. And that's why you hear elected officials talking about education spending and, and um, you know, trying to, to go back to being pro-business. And so the legislature also, that's what I always remind voters, is they're going to be very responsive to what you input you provide. And, and if you're not providing input, there's no telling what's going to happen up there. So you got to stay in contact with them constantly. That's exactly right. We today, we uh, Scott and I were both at the at the Capitol for a tour of the restoration project. And there was about mm-hmm. uh, I didn't count 10 people ish that were there. 10, 12. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And um, and I mean, you know, that's part of my thing is like we're just trying to demystify this building. Like you can come up here anytime you want and. And look, like you can see parts of history and it doesn't have to be scary and 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 trying to help, as always, educate people and let them know that if you call your legislator, like you are doing something that 90% of the population never does. And so that voice, yeah. I mean, that's a responsibility too. Like you, your voice is going to speak more loudly because you are one of the only people that do that. Exactly. And as, I think part of my philosophy as elected was definitely impacted by my work as an advocate before I ran for office. Uh, I, you know, I'd been in every office. I had left, left one pagers behind uh, about children's issues and, 
had gone through from that side. So I always appreciated whenever people would take the time to interact with me and to provide me what they were thinking. Um, and especially if it was in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, there were, there, there were, it was, we had some challenges because there were, was also um, an outside influence that was trying to, that made the people think that, that protest is a way to get things done. Well, you know, I don't. I don't think that's an overly effective way to advocate. You know, if you advocacy done right now when the legislature's not in session, when you call somebody up and say, "Hey, I'm kind of buy you a cup of coffee and have a conversation with you," and whenever you have two thoughtful persons sharing their thoughts and concerns about the future of our state, is a little more productive than, um, you know. 50,000 50, people. <laughs> you know, it's funny that well, you mentioned that. Because- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Well, so Andy and I did after, I'll just say, I think, you know, the teacher walkout, I think, was the big protest of this year. And after it was all, <laughs> yes. after it was all done, um, Andy and I, you know, uh, there are a couple groups that asked us to come kind of talk with them. And we kind of did like a debrief, like, so how do we think that went? How do you guys feel? <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the things that we told people was, you know, like, okay, like marching and I mean, that's all fine. But if you really want to impact what's going to happen in the legislative session next year, the time to be doing that is now, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you're like, like, it's like, it's like in sports, the off season is when you're going to, you, your next season is mm-hmm. determined by how your off season goes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you, yep, if exactly. you, if you really want to influence the bills and policy and things that are going to happen starting in February of 2019, the meetings and the conversations and the relationships that you need to be building, that needs to be happening now, not in March, because exactly. in, in March you might get something done, but it's going to be kind of slapdash and, you know, not, not necessarily the best policy, even if it temporarily fixes the problem. Well, I enlighten, I said something that, you know, you you want something to change at your church because you're you know you you don't like x y or z about the service and so let's say you never talk to the you don't talk to your pastor and you don't talk to your deacon and you decide one day that you and all your friends are going to show up and hang out in the parking lot <laughs> during church <laughs> And, and they go, what? They would never do that. And I said, well, that's basically what happened. I had, you know, there was a tailgate party in the parking lot while we were trying to work. Um, and none of those people had talked to us. And that, and that was true. I mean, I had, I interacted very frequently with a lot of the superintendents in my district, but even people that I had taught with had never once reached out to right. me sent me an email, picked up the phone, called me, and they'd had my phone number for 15 years. Um, and then they showed up in my office at the Capitol. And I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, it's funny wait, that, that's a- it's funny that you bring up the, the church analogy because I think actually like it was like one or two weeks before the walkout, we had uh, Senator McCourtney on to kind of talk about, so what do you think is going to happen? How is this all going to go? And I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it was him that he was like, you know – He's like, I've been a member of a church in Ada for 40 years, and we talk about how to change the carpet in the church, and like, it's just like a process of like five. And it was just funny because he used a very like similar analogy <laughs> of like, imagine that you were going to have a congregational meeting to get 
the carpet changed at your church. Like how that would go in terms of trying to reach like consensus in the legislature. So legislature. So I think it's, I think it is uh, both um, amusing and very apropos. That you use the same analogy uh, talking about the talking about the walkout. Well, we, um, you know, it, it, we're back to the, the the most challenging thing is the misconception on how everything works. Um, you know, I was listening, and I, of course, now in the election system, it's season. I'm listening to, you know, people are running for office for the first time, and they'll talk about all these things that they're going to do, and I, we all just want to <laughs> laugh and go, "No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how, because no, you. Good, some good of it is. Luck. I'm like, you can't eat. You can't. Well, you can't. I, my, when we've got people running for governor that what they're going to instruct the legislature to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's not how that works. Right. Or, good, good luck um, with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like when you're running general candidates, right? Yeah. The, the attorney general candidates that are going to instruct district attorneys. I'm like, yeah, nope. Good luck. Yeah. It's not, not how it works. Not how that works. They don't, they don't work for them, but it's, it's exactly. like, it's like uh, when you're running for a student council president, in junior high, and you're like, I'm going to bring back snack machines. And it's like, that's not your decision at all to make, but, but that doesn't matter. Right. And this is the problem yeah. is that voters yeah. vote on that stuff. They right. vote based on that stuff. They vote on the, the idea. Like, well, I like that he, that he or she says that. And what we're trying to say is like, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, let's, let's listen to what they can do. Right. And, and, and to try to educate voters to know the difference between what a, what a candidate can and cannot feasibly do in their tenure. Like you can, we're all about hope and change and we want, you know, a better Oklahoma for everybody, <laughs> but like you can't do all that stuff. And so let's, you got to have some passion, but you got to have some, some reality as well. Well, and you have to understand too, I mean, to kind of what you alluded to earlier, Senator, that, you know, and you said this too, Andy, people tell us all the time, like, well, I just want to vote this person out. Okay, first of all, well, you can't just vote against them, right? You have to vote for someone you vote else. For somebody else. And if you're going to vote a new person in as opposed to your rep or your senator who's been there for eight or 10 years, I mean, that's fine. But the freshman that's going to come in is going to have a lot less gravitas, a lot less credibility, a lot right. less pull. They're not going to be a committee chair, right? Like, they're, I mean,. So you could try to build a relationship with that person that already represents you and understands how to pull the very like complicated levers of government, or you can just say, I'm going to vote for this other person who decided they were going to run because they were upset about something. Um, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> they mentioned Senator, Senator McCourtney also one day he texted text a group of us and he said, hey, I'm sitting at a, a candidate forum with a couple of people running for the first time. Please tell me I didn't sound that dumb when I ran. <laughs> to which we all responded, yep, you did. That's right. That's right. We That's need to have him back on to talk about this whole medical marijuana thing. He's done a great job heading up that uh, the joint task force. Um, he is a, a bright, shining star and part of the reason why I can leave with a clear conscience and know that the people of the state of Oklahoma are in good hands. He's a, he's a good dude. Well, Senator, do you have time for one, maybe two more questions? Sure. Keep uh, going. Um, so this is uh, this first one. This is a this is a I don't want to call it a softball, but I'm really excited to ask you about it. Um, so my wife is a licensed clinical social worker. Um, she works. So is my wife. Uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> we both we both married up. They're different women. But <laughs> yes. My wife uh, Ashley. She works um, with an agency here in town that does uh, foster care adoptions. Um, they do like foster care support. Uh, 
um, they work with um, therapy for families with foster kids um, and she's been in that part of I guess the industry if you would call it that part of um, health services for kids for probably the last six seven years now and in that time um, because I'm married to her I have become much more familiar with something called uh, trauma-informed care um, and what it yeah. means what it means for you know a pediatrician or a judge or a social worker or a therapist or whoever to be trauma informed and how important that is um, and you and uh, representative Carol Bush this last session had a bill creating a trauma informed care task force right for right. Uh, right. that exists to make recommendations for DHS and the the question is this can you please tell all of our listeners what trauma-informed care is, why it's so important, and what your task force is going to do? <laughs> well, what, the things that we have learned over the last decade about the brain and the impact of trauma on brain development uh, through a study that I hope many people are familiar with, the ACE study um, that tracks adverse childhood experiences oh, and yeah. then looks yeah. at the, the long-term health, both mental health and physical health of an individual based on how many instances of adverse experiences they have as children has taught us that when we make decisions about everything from how we, you know, who we place children with, if they have to be removed from their home to the training that we should have for our pediatricians and our nurses and our frontline workers and our DHS caseworkers, that all of those should always be wrapped around what we understand about trauma in the developing brain. And so um, the task force, which um, as, uh, because of my departure will be actually headed up by Senator Greg McCourtney and Senator Kay Floyd, um, with the help of the Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy, will look at how do we infuse this new science into our decision-making processes for children in education, in child welfare, in juvenile justice, in healthcare and in the community as a whole, and then make sure that all of the people along the touch points of that kid's life understands trauma and make decisions informed about its possible consequences. Uh, we talked earlier about the way that we're going to change, you know, how we deal with children that are born um, with uh, drug affected because of what we now know on the brain science and that, that kids actually fare much better if they're not, um, they don't serve uh, suffer a subsequent trauma by being removed from their caregiver that just gave birth to them. So the decision-making process must be trauma-informed so that people need to understand how that brain is impacted by trauma and how it should impact the way that we make decisions. You know, I think that's, that's my five-minute spiel. That's, <laughs> no, I mean, that's so important, especially because, you know, I mean, the ACEs, the ACEs study – you know, we learned about when I was in medical school and then we talked about it again in residency. But I think what you're hitting on that's new is, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we knew that if you had experienced, you know, for instance, you know, how like three or four or five or six of these different adverse childhood events, we know that that means that you're like in terms of your medical health, like your life expectancy is lower. It means your likelihood of being incarcerated is higher. It means you're much more likely to suffer from certain chronic health addictions or health problems. You're much more likely to be a smoker. Like there's, there's, we knew all of that, but I think what's new is this understanding that one, how early those, how early those traumas can occur. And two, understanding how profound the 
the impact is of those things on neurodevelopment and how that impacts attachment and child behavior um, mm-hmm. as they as they grow. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that, you know, there's, um, the, uh, the Institute funded by, uh, Karen Purvis at TCU has done a ton of work in this, um, with uh, TBRI trust-based relational intervention. Um, and it's just, it's, I'm seeing, you know, it's not something that I use on a day-to-day basis as a pediatrician, but seeing what Ashley does and what the people she works with, how, like what a profound impact that this has on those kids. Um, I just wanted mm-hmm. to say mostly hear you talk about it and say, mm-hmm. thank you for doing that because yeah. I think that has the, the potential to be really just a huge impact on the the kids and families of Oklahoma. I do as well. And I'm encouraged that we've got people that are willing to, to, to work on that issue. And, and, and there's a great partnership being built around trauma-informed care in Oklahoma. Absolutely. Well, last question I have, and Andy, if you've got any more, you can throw it out there about that. No, no. Uh, so you're you're leaving. Uh, this is mm-hmm. your, you'll be you'll be done when someone wins your seat and gets sworn in. Uh, there's a lot of turnover in the legislature this year. There's going to be a lot of fresh faces um, in uh, February next year. What what advice do you have to all the freshmen that are going to be coming in? And more specifically, there's going to be freshman Republicans. There's going to be freshman Democrats. There's going to be people that are only in their second term. Something like half of the legislature on each side is going to be there for four years or less. 60%. Um, right. What, what is the best advice that you have generally and on how they can come together and be less divided or at least have the perception be that they're less divided? Well, I, the first thing I say, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, it, in that building, it is very easy to get wrapped up in what happens. And there are days that it feels like the center of the universe. And quite frankly, it isn't. <laughs> um, it, you know, that if, if, if a new legislature will in, make sure that they, uh, that they don't take themselves too seriously and that they, um, and they don't take themselves too seriously, but that they also kind of stay dedicated to the things that they understand and in all other things, listen and learn and be a student of the process. Then they'll be successful. And that's all they need to do. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm going to go ahead and say right now that if you, if you have the time among your myriad new responsibilities uh, in your post-legislative life, we would love to get you back on the show and get like Ashley and Katie and have like a whole just like yeah, both trauma, our, trauma and foster care, like a whole episode. And both of our wives it. wanted to be here tonight and they couldn't. Um, and so we, we have to have a, a redo and just have them co-host the episode. That'd be way better. I think this is like a great idea. It'd no. probably be your best show ever. It definitely it would. would be. No, I told Ashley, I, was, I, was, I said, I was like, Hey babe, I said, AJ Griffin's going to be on on Friday. And she was like, what? She like, I love her. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to that opportunity and um, let's make sure we have, make it happen. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you later then. Okay. Thanks guys. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks to Senator AJ Griffin for her uh, time and her candor. Don't forget to subscribe and rate. Let's pod this on Apple podcasts. And now you can find us on Spotify we're like kind of legit and stuff um also i will say that we are oklahoma's highest rated and most rated political podcast so thanks to everyone who listens please tell your friends 
spread the word. We would love for you to uh, get involved. And even if you want to come on the podcast or if you've got a topic for us, um, reach out to us at podcast at letsfixthisok.org. You can tweet at us at letsfixthisokay. You can tweet at Scott and I individually if you would like. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Twitter at letsfixthisokay. Um, both of those. Be sure to like our page and go to our website, letsfixthisok.org. Sign up for our newsletter. I should have some stuff coming out in the next week. We've got a couple of debates coming up, so look for details on that. And don't forget, we're going to have a kick-ass election watch party in November. You will not want to miss that. It's no tickets. It's free to come at the Tower Theater on November 6th, and it's going to be legit awesome. I promise you. Um, you can also make a donation if you want to help support us, which would be really awesome because we don't have much money and we do this out of the goodness of our hearts uh, and our own pockets here in Scott's Upstairs Upper Room Studios. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans. That's you, listeners. We want to educate you and help you become more engaged with your government. We encourage you to get involved in any way you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.